is Jonathan Nato, and I'm a blind guy. Hey, everybody. My name is Hamad Zaidi, and I have a physical disability. And this is Limping on Cloud Nine. Yes, it is. And Jonathan, how are you doing today, man? Good. Everything's going well. Uh, Caleb just came back home uh, early in the morning this morning. He flew from Nashville into Boston. He's visiting his friend for like three weeks, and he's uh, finally home. That is awesome for two reasons. First of all, I used to, I spent one semester teaching in Nashville, so I'm a huge fan of that area of the, of the country. And secondly, your son is our uh, researcher. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> he went, When he came home, he came bearing Krispy Kreme donuts. Oh, I love Krispy Kreme. You know, we have a Krispy Kreme that's about 20 minutes away from us. And most Sunday mornings, not every Sunday, but at least twice a month, Lena and Zoe get in the car. We put on Bare Naked Ladies or The Beatles or whatever I'm listening to that morning. Yeah. And we'd ride out to Krispy Kreme before 10.30 a.m. so we can still get the hot Oh, donuts. yeah, yeah. I mean, even the, I mean, you know, there's none around here on the East Coast that, that, that within reasonable driving distance, if there are any. Um, but, yeah, these are, you know, these obviously weren't hot. But even just the ones that are plain, you know, that are already off the press and they're cooled off or whatever, they're considerably better than any donuts we have around here. Well, yeah, they, they are probably the best donuts in America. They're really, really, really good. Yeah, he, he, he got a chance. He went to it, uh, Krispy Kreme's twice, and one, one time he was able to get a hot donut, and he's like, it's amazing. No, no, it is. It melts in your mouth. You know, I still think that Krispy and Cream were two of Lena and Zoe's first words. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I really do like that. It's, it's a great donut shop. So today, my friend... I'd like to talk about the writing process. Okay. Primarily because I know that you're working on your novel. Yeah. So I want to talk to you about your process. I want to share a bit of mine. And the reason this is in my mind today is that I actually finished a pilot for a one-hour TV series based on Limping on Cloud Nine, based Mm. on my childhood. Awesome. Very cool. So I'm on cloud nine right now until I get notes that I have to rewrite a bunch of crap. (laughs) But right now I'm good. I'm good. So let me start by, well, actually, let me just jump in real quick and ask you, your writing process, being blind and writing a novel, how does that work for you? Oh, man. I'm, first of all, I am atrocious when it comes to writing. Like, I blame part of it on being blind and having been blind for so long now. Like, I've been blind longer than I could see. I've surpassed that almost 10 years now. So I've been blind almost 10 years longer than I could see. Um, Okay. And my wife is a very – she's very good at, um, you know, like English and and punctuation and, you know, all that stuff. So she's really good at that. When – if I have her look at something I've written, it drives her insane. Like – there's so much stuff wrong with it. She, she almost gets like like physically angry at me, <laughs> but not physically. I, 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 but, I can just see her saying, "You know what? I'm getting credit on this as well." <laughs> like like literally just angry because it's she it's so bad. But I'm like, you know what? When I could see, I used, I used to be an awesome speller, and I don't know if I necessarily had like a photographic memory or not, but I could just look at a word once. And, and know how to spell it from there on out. Or even just like reading things, I would just always, I would always pronounce words correctly. I don't, I don't know why. But 
and you know, so I used to be good at commas, semicolons, you know, quotations, all that stuff. But now it's like I don't even, you know, it could be a number of things. One, when I'm typing, I don't like to turn back. Like I, it, it ruins my flow, and so I'll I'll gladly misspell nine out of ten words to keep my flow going. Like I don't want to have to stop and be like, oh, let me backspace here and fix this word can't, or you know what I'm saying? Like so, my right. fir- my first draft will be an utter, you know, mess because I'm not willing to take the time to correct what I know I messed up. I'll, I'll look back at it later and fix it, you know? Um, and so I, I, I've just done it like a giant brain dump over the past 10 years with my book. And I've now kind of been going back through like, okay, this chunk right here, this is a chapter. Okay. This chunk right here, this is a chapter. So I've been breaking it all up. And then I've right. been, then I've been going through chapter after chapter, just rereading it, rereading it and going, because, you know, me, I lived it. And then as I'm rereading, I'm like, oh, you know what? I, sh- I need to mention more about this. Or, you know, maybe as I'm typing, a story will come into mind around this time frame of the chapter that I'm in. And I'll just start throwing it into that chapter. So I don't really know if I have necessarily have a professional process. And by after hearing how I do it, it's probably not a professional process. <laughs> but, I, you know, again, it's it's funny that i am been sort of you called, if you will, to, to write a book because this is like the last thing I ever would imagine myself doing because I know no, this is, in my, well, this what is, I'm capable go ahead. of because I know what I'm capable of. So it's just funny, you know, that to, to be to be stretched and, and to to be challenged to do this. No, I think it's awesome. And that's the reason that I really wanted to discuss this today, because I actually love writing. And, and growing up, it was the only thing that people thought I did fairly well. Mm. <laughs> yeah. The only thing. That's it, right? And it's kind of funny. I think we mentioned this in passing in another, po- in another podcast. But when I was really young, the first time that somebody noticed my writing was when I won a essay contest in the fifth grade. Yeah, was that the why, was, e- was that the Why I Love America episode? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. it was exactly the Why I Love America episode. Yes, it was either the fall of 1979 or the spring of 1980. It was within that two month period. Yeah, yeah. But I remember the Iran con- not the Contra, but I remember the Iran hostage crisis was going on. Yeah. So it meant a lot to me to write that piece during that time. Yeah, and. You know, not one bone in my body believed that I would even place. And then when I wound up winning it, I'm like, uh-oh, this might be something you know how to do. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then growing up, and it's funny, I tell friends this. I'm not sure if I mentioned it on our podcast before. But growing up, you know what I used to do before I write something? Mm. As a kid? I would write fake reviews before I started writing the actual piece. Ha, that's funny. I would. I'd be like, better than a taco, Mexico City Times, right? <laughs> or, or better than the Yankees winning the World Series, New York Times. And I'd write all these five-star reviews about my own work when I was like seven or eight or ten years old. Yeah. And then I'd get all pumped up on these fake reviews that I wrote myself, right? And then it'd be like, now I've got to make the piece as good as the reviews. Mm, mm. Okay, that, that's interesting. But, yeah, no, it's really weird. But I'll tell you what's odd about it is, you know, for people that aren't thinking 
on what a big deal it is for me to write. It's really not a big deal because I love doing it. But like you write blind, mm. I write one-handed. Right, right. So when I write, it's hunt and peck, hunt and peck, hunt and peck. You know, and it's it's such a long, long process for me. But no one would ever know because I always finish my work at the same time that any other writer would finish their work. The difference is what they write in two hours a day, I write in 12 hours a day. Yeah. Yeah, no, you know, it, I, I just thought of like each each of our process ends up being like timely for different reasons. Like you are much more meticulous at what keys you're going to press because you're you're obviously more cautious or careful or you're more mindful because you have to be in a sense. So right. you're you're I would almost say you probably write not not that you would say it's perfect, but I mean you would write and be like, Man, this is really good. You know, like this is in pretty good shape, you know? Me, I'm like the Uzi or machine gun approach where I'm just like blasting, you know, everything down and then I have to take the meticulous time to go back through everything and just clean it all up or take stuff out and, and do all so it it probably ends up being kind of the same amount of time. Yeah, it does. And I'll tell you maybe it does, but I'll tell you this. I, when I finish writing a piece, I think, wow, that's really good. There's nothing I need to change. Mm. And then I show it to a couple of people and they're like, it's really good, but there's a lot you need to change. Right? <laughs> and then not, you know, I always think the best part of writing is rewriting mm. and I hate doing it. But when I finish a piece and I'm like, I don't need to touch it. It's perfect. Right. Yeah. The second I give it to people I trust and to, to reviewers and a few people that I send it out to before I try to send it out professionally, yeah, they come back and they're like, dude, the through line is great, the dialogue strong, but here's all the reasons why you need to change these areas. Mm. And then I go through that process, and then when I'm actually done, whether it's a week or two weeks or three weeks later, if it's a long piece or whether it's several hours later, if it's a short piece... When I'm completely done, I look back at the first thing I wrote, mm. and I'm like, how would I ever think that was good? Yeah, yeah, it's funny how that happened. And I think, you know, from conversations we've had, uh, if I remember correctly, almost, you know, nine times out of ten or the majority of the time when you write something, it's always shorter than what it was before. Oh, always. Every yeah. single time. Yeah. And... You know what really got me into the writing process? Started with the Why Love America essay contest. Mm. And then after that, I continued to write tons and tons and tons of short stories. Mm. All, all of the time. Constantly. And then I remember when I was leaving Kansas, I wrote like a 13 or 14 page letter <laughs> to, to a former girlfriend, Kristen, who still to this day refuses to talk to me. Oh, right. man. Was it wasn't due to this letter, was it? <laughs> no, no, this letter was I still remember I titled it. I titled the letter. It wasn't just a letter, it was like a short story for her. Yeah. And it was actually called The Long Drive Home. And it was about all of my mistakes. And I was 17 at the time. Mm. But it was about all of the mistakes I felt I made in the time that I was dating her and my apology to her. Oh wow. Okay. Right? Yeah. And I actually thought about it for a month. I wrote it out by hand, not even on the computer, right? Yeah. Left it on her doorstep, called her several times because I was moving to Austin 
called her several times just to make sure she got it. Finally, she calls me back, and I'm like, no, she didn't. She never called me back. She actually picked up the phone. Oh, okay, okay. Right, and she goes, look, I got your stupid letter. I hated it. Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) Here's the funny thing, and everything in that letter was my apology and how wonderful of a person she was, right? Man. And here's the funny thing about it. As she hangs up, what's the first thing I think? I was thinking to myself, she just said she hates it. Does she hate me or my writing? Because <laughs> I'm okay if she hates me, but if she hates my writing, that sucks. <laughs> I thought you were going to be like, oh, she hates it. At least she read it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So moving on from that, the next year, I wasn't smart enough to get into a four-year school initially because I screwed around a lot in high school. Yeah. So I started at Austin Community College, and I remember taking a composition course there. Mm-hmm. And the teacher in the course gave me like a D and then an F into essays. And when I talked to her about it, I go, what are you talking about? And how would you give me an F? And she goes, well, you didn't write this. There's no way you wrote this. Are you serious? And- yeah, yeah. And I, I'm like, oh, my God, that's good. Maybe I actually can write. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And the funny thing is, I told her, I go, listen, I begged her not to give me that grade. But she didn't, ultimately. Okay, that's good. But what, what she made me do, she made me go to her office hours. Yeah. And she goes, okay, I'm going to give you a topic, and you have 20 minutes to write about it. And yeah. then I did it, and I turned it in, and then she's like, okay. So... I can see you're using the same phrases and words that you used before, so that was your writing, right? Man, that is crazy. Yeah, and you know what else? And I don't know. I'm sure that you have some level of understanding when I talk about the next thing. Yeah. But what's interesting about writing is when somebody reads my writing, they don't think disabled guy writing. They're just reading a story. Right, right. So I get treated much better as a writer because all they're doing is just reading what I'm writing about. Right, exactly. Does that make sense to you? Totally, totally. You know, I think it's important because you've told me in the past and you've told our listeners in the past that applying for jobs was always difficult because they find out that you're blind and all of a sudden they don't want to give you a chance. Right. You know, I guess it's like the same thing. On, on paper, I look good. On paper, I'm this person that can accomplish X, Y, and Z. And then they meet me, and I'm no longer that person on the paper. Yeah, exactly. And it's the same thing with the writing. You know, and you know, my only hang-up is people over the years have told me it also might be the fact that your name is Hamad Zaidi. <laughs> <laughs> so when people read a script from that name, they may or may not have any preconceived notions sure. on who you are, sure. what your belief system is. And they may not be reading a funny comedy or a poignant drama. They're just thinking that funny comedy and poignant drama is being written by somebody from a culture that I may not like. Right. Exactly. Right. And over the years, a lot of people have told me, hey, dude, when you're submitting, just submit under John Smith. (laughs) Right. Right. And to be honest, that might actually have worked. But. I'm a little stubborn, man. I got stuck with my name, so I might as well use it, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, if someone's going to be hung up on your name or have these preconceived notions, then maybe you wouldn't want to be a part of that anyways. 
Yeah, and I also looked at it as a big challenge. Like, I'm not saying it happens with everybody. It may only happen with a few percentage of the people. Yeah, yeah. But but my challenge is, if you read something from a guy named Hamad Zaidi and you still like it a lot, and you had issues with that culture before you read it, then that says that I did my job. Definitely. Definitely. You know what I mean? Absolutely. You know, and, and the other thing I wanted to mention that we'll talk about in depth in another podcast, but the thing that really got me disciplined is from 2010 to 2015, mm. I, wrote, I wrote 256 articles every single Tuesday for five years. It was exactly five years on the nose for a, a film threat, oh, which yeah. is, you know, a film website. Yeah. And, and my column was called Going Bionic. And as you know, now I've moved all of those articles over to goingbionic.com. So yeah. if anyone wants to read them. Feel free to go to goingbionic.com and read my, uh, what, 200? No, actually, now there's like 300. Yeah, yeah. No, I, you know, yeah. I had a teacher when I went back to school and college. It was uh, it was like English, whatever, 201 or whatever it was. It was a little, not 101, but um, she, I, I think it was maybe once a week or maybe, maybe twice a week. I don't remember, but she would have us write like 300-word, 400-word articles, you know, on certain topics. And that got me into not, you know, I would never say I'm a good writer, but that got me at least more comfortable being forced to write, you know, a few hundred words on a topic. Because, you know, I mean, and even in high school, like when it came to test time and like, you know, there'd always be that question that was like an essay. You had to answer the question in essay format. Man, I would be like, I would answer the question in like three sentences, you know, like I, I had no art form <laughs> to, to my writing. And I always cringed when I had to write really expound or expand on, you know, whatever I was writing about. I, I just didn't do well at it at all. Yeah. You know, what's weird is this is kind of strange and it makes sense because I'm kind of strange, <laughs> but I got to tell you, I'm always in this deep fear that when I sit at the computer next, nothing will come out mm. that all my ideas will be completely gone. Yeah. And it has never happened, man. Never. <laughs> and the weird thing is, as I get into my writing mode, I'm not writing as Hamad writing a story. My characters are in my head, and they're telling me what they want to say. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. It's, it's a weird place, because I look back, I'll write for seven or eight or ten hours, and then I'll look back and I'll be like, wow, I wrote that? Not, and I'm not saying that I think it's good or bad. I'm just saying, wow, I don't even remember writing those words. Yeah, yeah. Because it was the characters in my mind that just get into their own groove, and they tell me what they're going to say. That's cool. And you know the weirdest thing about my writing process? My dreams. <laughs> Can I tell you about that? Yeah, yeah, Definitely. This has happened to me ever since I was a child, and it still happens to me every night. I'll be dreaming something, Jonathan, whatever it is, right? And in the middle of the dream, the dream will stop in my mind. Okay. And, and I'll think, wait a minute, he wouldn't do that. And then I'll go through it again with him doing something else. No kidding. Isn't that weird? <laughs> That's cool. Well, yeah, people, you know, there are like those people out there that can kind of grasp 
the control of their their uh, subconscious, you know, when they're dreaming and like really be like in control in that way. That that's pretty cool. No, it's really weird because I will everything from just like being the quarterback for the 49ers when they win their next Super Bowl to walking Lena and Zoe down the aisle when they get married. There'll be dreams all over the place, right? Yeah. And every single time there'll be one part of the dream where my mind thinks, no, 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 Zoe wouldn't say that. She would say this. And it goes through it again. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? No, that's cool. That's very cool. And so do you wake up and, like, write stuff down, like, from your dreams? Like, do you have, like, a a pad and pencil or whatever next to your bed? Do you write stuff down? I used to, but now I just whip open my iPhone and get into the notes area. Oh, okay. And and type it in. And you just gave me a thought. My my father is a uh, he invents microchips. Yeah. Right. He's always told me. I always ask him, how do you come up with a new design for an oscillator? How do you just create a microchip? Yeah. I mean, I don't understand that world. I mean, I have a general understanding about the sales of that world. But not the actual technical stuff. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Dad always says the same thing. He always says, Hamad, I don't think about it. I dream about it. <laughs> That's like, cool. I'll go to, he, he says, I'll go to bed with a problem. And in my dream, I'll think, ah, that's how I do it. That's right? cool. That's cool. But I'll tell you the reason I wanted to talk about the writer's journey in this episode today. For years and years and years, I've had the opportunity to speak to, to teach university classes, to speak to high schools, grade schools, just a lot of different film festivals, film groups, a lot of different people. Yeah. And ultimately, the one thing I always try to say to people most of the time is the following. And I'll ask you. In fact, I won't even tell you. I'll just ask you. Jonathan? Coming from a man who actually, I have had a gun to my head. Mm. Yeah, yeah. If you had a gun to your head and you could only do one job for the rest of your natural life, what would it be? Oh, man. I, I, I would want to be some type of a pastor or teacher. There you go. And I knew, I thought that was going to be what you say. Yeah. Your worth and your, your meaning on earth my friend is to touch people yeah it really is yeah i believe that about you wholeheartedly and when somebody asked me the same question a long time ago they said you have a you know you you're in the producers guild you're in the writers guild you've done a little bit of directing you do other entrepreneurial things like video games and and other stuff but if you had a gun to your head what would you do and my answer has always been the same I would write. Mm, mm. If I could sit in my Lucky Charms boxer underwear <laughs> with my no, Dr. Pepper. No, now I have a great image. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you. I mean, I'm not even kidding about that. With my ice cold Dr. Pepper looking out at the ocean with my laptop popped up in front of me and Sonny sitting beside me. And I could just write to my heart's content all day. And not deal with all the other entrepreneurial things that I do, even though I love all those things. Yeah. But if I could just sit and write all day long, man, I'd be in heaven. Yeah. I'd be in more of a heaven, heavenly state than I am now. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. I hear what you're saying. 
You know, so I guess the point of today's podcast is for everyone out there to ask themselves, God forbid if there was a gun to your head and you could only do one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be? Answer that question, and then if you can't do it today, at least look at what steps you can take to start moving toward it. Yeah, definitely. You know? Definitely. Maybe I'm just delusional because I didn't sleep last night and I'm really tired right now. <laughs> no, I mean, th- this goes along with the, the, you know, the last episode we did with your friend, and I'm forgetting his name, your friend from the Yukon. Um, that, uh, oh, Jonathan. Yeah, John. Yeah, John. His name John. Yeah, John. Like, he, he obviously always wanted to be a vet because he made dang sure well that he got back to being a vet. Absolutely. And that blows me away that he's actually not only back to being a veterinarian, but he's doing surgery again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, like, I guess that's what he would have he said if he had the gun put to his head. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, if you people haven't heard that episode, please do. It's the one right before this one. Yeah. So, so you'll understand what Jonathan's talking about. Yeah. On that note, my friend, that is my story for today. Awesome. And everyone, you can download us on, again, not us, but our episodes. You can download our episodes on iTunes, on Google Play, Stitcher Radio. You can check us out on YouTube. Uh, you know, there's also 59 seconds of Cloud Nine, which is what just that's what exactly what it is. 59 seconds, uh, 59 second clips from all the episodes of Limping on Cloud Nine. Uh, so that's also on iTunes and Google Play. And I need to get back to Stitcher Radio because I'm pretty sure I haven't got an email from them. Speaking of that, and uh, so you'll be able to find that there. And also check out ToysAccessible.com, where the website is dedicated to selling toys. Uh, for children with various disabilities, so check out toysaccessible.com. Yes, and if you want to contact Jonathan or myself, info at limpingoncloud9.com. That is info at limpingoncloud9.com. With any luck, my friend, people may be seeing some sort of a television series here in the next year or two. Of course, it takes a lot of luck to get to that stage, but the first step has already been taken. Awesome. Very cool. And everyone, thank you for listening and downloading. We'll talk to you next episode. See ya.